this isn't going to be the first week. It's going to be several weeks of this. This is part one. I already have some things mapped out of things that I believe God is trying to speak to us as a church through this whole pandemic and the things that we've been going through. And this morning, I'm going to take my passage from Ezekiel 36. So you can take a few moments to do that as I'm kind of getting us opened up here. I want to first share with you a mission statement of a well-known university. And the mission statement was this, to be plainly instructed and consider well what the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. That's a mission statement for a well-known university. And this university was founded in 1636. This university employed exclusively Christian professors that emphasized character formation in its students, above all else, and placed a strong emphasis on equipping ministers to share the good news. Every diploma of this particular school read Christo et Ecclesia around Veritas, meaning truth for Christ and the church. You've probably heard of this school. It's called Harvard University. Only 80 years after its founding, a group of New England pastors sensed Harvard was drifting too far. So they were concerned by the secularization of Harvard, and they approached a wealthy philanthropist who shared their concerns. This man, Elihu, Yale financed their efforts in 1718, and they called the college Yale University. Yale's motto was not just Veritas, truth like Harvard, but Lux at Veritas, light and truth. Today, Harvard and Yale's legacy of academic excellence is still intact, but neither school resembles what the founders envisioned for these universities. Both schools were to be Ministry schools, schools that train up pastors and missionaries and people working in the field. At the 350th anniversary celebration of Harvard, Stephen Mueller, who was a former president of John Hopkins University, bluntly stated, the bad news is the university has become godless. In fact, I don't know how many of you saw this story. It was in the New York Times in August that... Harvard unanimously elected an atheist as their president of chaplains. See, Harvard and Yale's founders were unmistakably clear in their goals. They wanted academic excellence, and they wanted Christian formation. Today, they do something very different from their founding purpose. What happened with Harvard and Yale is called mission drift. And mission drift isn't something that it's just for universities. In fact, mission drift is what happened quite often if you read the story of the Israelites throughout the Old Testament. It's a story of the chosen people of God. Time and again, there were prodigals running after other gods. They did what they wanted to do when they wanted to do it. And time and again, they ignored the poor. They ignored the widow and those on the fringe of society. And time and again, God sent prophets to them to tell them, hey, get your act straight. Help those who are poor. Help those that are in need. Help the, the widows. The voice of prophets declared God's judgment on them when they weren't doing the things that God has asked them to do as God's people. And they confronted them every time they began to walk away from the very God that had done so much for them. Like we say this morning about being grateful. We think of all the things that he's done for us. Not for a moment were we forsaken. In every aspect of our lives, he has been there for us. He has continued to provide. He's continued to be faithful. 
And he miraculously brought this people out of Egypt. He provided food and water for them. He gave them victories over armies and militaries that they had no business beating. Because his power was with them. Because he was with them. And his presence was with them. But despite this mission trip that the Israelites continually do throughout the Old Testament, God continued to call out to his people through the prophets. He continued to ask them to come and to return back to him. To pray. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. There was this continual call to God that despite the ways that they were going and despite their walking away from God, there was this continual calling to come back, to return. Despite this mission drift, they continued to walk away. God's prophets of doom, also throughout the scriptures, also became prophets of hope. Because they were looking forward to another day when God would step down in human history and change everything. I want to say to you this morning that the American church has experienced mission trips. Many of our American churches have experienced a mission trip similar to that of the University of, universities of Harvard and Yale. The power of the Holy Spirit should be actively working in our lives. Translating into life change and giving feet to our faith, the thing that we declare that we believe. But instead, the church has become weak, trying to do things on our own and in our own strength, trying to use our own reasoning. And we believe, as a church here in this place, that God's word is living and active. And if it's living and active, that means it makes a difference in me. And that means it makes a difference in you and the way that you live and the way that you act on your faith. Because it is not a dead document. It is a living document with God's word written to us. But too many people see God's word as something that can be explained away. And it's become dead and still to them instead of living and acting. See, it's in this environment, this one, that we find ourselves. And how do we counter such a move against the word of God? A move away from the power of the Holy Spirit. This morning, I want to be that prophet of hope. It is my conviction that God is not done with his church. Amen. All that has happened and is happening in our world today gives us the opportunity to live out our faith, to put our money where our mouth is. Or Mrs. Crabtree used to be a the wife of our former pastor, David Crabtree. Remember when her brother passed away and her kind of struggling through that death? And I'll never forget what she said. She said, you either believe God or you don't. You either believe God or you don't. No matter what you struggle through, you either believe or you don't. You either trust him or you don't. And she did trust him. And her faith was deeper than just a profession of faith. It was deeper than just words. She lived out every day, regardless of what happened. And she has the scars to show. Prophet of hope. There's a Latin proverb that says, Where there is life, there is hope. Where there is life, there is hope. And the opposite is also true. Where there is hope, we find reasons to live. Where there's hope, we find reasons to live. 
theologian Emil Werner said, what oxygen is to the lungs, such as hope for the meaning of life. Amen. Despite what we see going on in our world, I'm here to declare to you this morning and to encourage you that there is still hope. That God is not done in you. God is not done in me. God is not done in this church. And God is not done in the world that we see today. There's the hope of salvation. There's the hope of new life. There's the hope of a new day. The hope of eternal life. The hope of a new heaven and a new earth where there's no tears, no sickness, no crying, and no sin that will mess it all up. We have a hope, church. We have something that we're living for. We have something that we're living out in every area of our lives. And the hope of a revived church and a revived people filled again with the Holy Spirit of God. Filled again with courage and boldness to speak God's truth. Filled again in such a way that people can't deny that we love them no matter what they've done no matter what their past is, no matter what lifestyle they're living in today, that God loves them, and so do we as his followers. Today, I'm going to speak about from COVID to revival, part one. There will be many parts to this. And it's going to take us this morning, as I stated, this, uh, to Ezekiel chapter 36. We're going to read verses 8 through 9. Verses 8 through 9 is what we're starting this morning. It says, But the mountains of Israel will produce heavy crops of fruit for my people, for they will be coming home again soon. See, I care about you, and I will pay attention to you. Your ground will be plowed, and your crops planted. I want you to focus on the words, coming home again soon. Coming home again soon. See, times were tough. For the Israelites. As a result of turning their backs on God, nothing was going right for the people of God. At the time of this writing, they were exiles in a foreign land called Babylon. They had lost everything, and now they were strangers in this foreign land. But here Ezekiel is speaking a promise. He's speaking a word of hope, a word of prophecy that was about to happen. That they will be coming home again soon. They will be coming home again soon. We'll begin meditating on that this week. They will be coming home again soon. Times have been tough for us. COVID has turned many things upside down, and we've all struggled physically, mentally, financially, spiritually. What I'm going to share with you this morning is that what we're seeing now did not just appear suddenly. Yes, COVID did. But there are many other factors. You see, there's been a slow mission drift in the church of God and of these believers of God for the last several decades to get us to the point that we are at today. And this is many of one of the reasons that we see a mass exodus from the church and people turning away from God. And there's been consequences for our church, and there's been consequences for our nation. I'm not saying that COVID is those consequences. I'm simply saying that the church has lost its mission. And when it loses its mission, we begin to see the impact of it around the world. 
Churches who seemingly have been inwardly focused on self-preservation have turned many off to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Churches that have been seemingly focused only on themselves and what they can get. That's why we want to be a church known as a group of people who are for our community, that want to serve our community. And that's why we've given, as Hope Restored, we've given back to the community. I would say on average about $1,000 or so, some, some more, some less. No, most of them. To each of these organizations a month. There have been profits that we're giving right back. Found a service center. We fed people. Wings for Found Families. We've helped families who are in crisis. Cape Cod Military Support Foundation. We've helped our military veterans and their families, as well as active military. The Alzheimer's Family Support Cape Cod, where we've supported them and they've been able to, to help families that are struggling with Alzheimer's and their, and their families. And Bloom, a place for girls that are struggling with life. We supported a lot of organizations because we want to be known as a church that is for our community, not against it. As a church that wants to serve those people, the people in our community, the people that we love, the people that we should love. We're not, I don't want us to be inwardly focused. I want us to be looking out to say, what can we do to serve? What can we do to help? Because that gives glory to Him. I don't care about glory for her Christian church. Homecoming. Here's what I've been praying and believing and praying over this church that there will be a homecoming of people returning to this church and that we will be stronger now than before COVID hit. Amen. And we'll continue growing from there. There'll be some momentum shift. You see, the ground has been plowed, crops have been planted. And the harvest season is about to come upon us. And I always hear in the back of my mind that little echo that says the harvest is plenty, but the laborers, the workers are few. The harvest is there, but the laborers, the workers are few. And we are the workers. And we need to pray. The, the word of God says we need to pray to the Lord of the harvest for more workers. And we need to pray for more. So we are the workers and we're praying for more workers. And there's something else I've been really thinking about. And this is a reminder I want to keep in front of us. I said it a few weeks ago. And I'm going to keep saying it until you go, get so sick of hearing me say it that you start doing it just to shut me up. <laughs> you see, our leadership team has been thinking through and talking about how to grow this church. And I think sometimes we think if we just have the right strategy, the right program, the right building, the right event, the right fill-in-the-blank, but it is simple. It's simple. How do we grow the church? You invite somebody. You know we can grow this church by 50% if every one of you invited one person and brought them next week. It's that simple. We make it a lot more complicated. Why do we do that? You see, in the early church, when they first started or when church plants first happened, they're excited to be together. They gather together in a small room or whatever it takes. They have a guitar. They're very simple. They go through a message. They all see the mission. They're excited about the mission. They're excited about inviting people to be a part of what God is doing. And that's something that we need to recapture as a church. There was one church plan at some point. There was two different churches at one point that combined together. We need to recapture that excitement where we start to say, you know what? I want to invite you to this church because God is doing something in me. And I want him to do something in you. And that, that last study that I quoted a few weeks ago, 
how visitors came to church. 2% came from advertising. 2 or 6% came by a pastor inviting them. 6% by an evangelism campaign or an event. And 86% came because of friends or relatives that invited them. I think I want to spend my time on the 86%. My prayer is that they will come home again soon. And it's our job to bring in the harvest. But you see, before the harvest, before revival comes, there's some work to be done. And the work is not for us to do for those people, whoever those people are for you. But rather the work begins in you and me. The work begins in you and me. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 24 to 26. says, For I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I thought I was trying to just take my water bottle and see if I could see how many people I can catch. I probably have to go down the middle aisle and make sure I got it all. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. You see, a new heart. What we need is a heart transplant. Where there's a stony, stubborn heart, and it becomes a tender, responsive heart. Where a scarred and critical heart is replaced by a heart of compassion. And how does this happen? Well, according to the Mosaic Law, it's required that one be cleansed of sin. If someone is defiled by something they have touched, or something that they've touched considered unclean, the law demanded that they had to be cleansed before coming back into camp. And this was done by sprinkling or by bathing in water. This signified an outward sign that God has cleansed them and forgiven them, much like baptism is for us, where we go under the water. But God was after much more than just a symbol of outward change. After all, Jesus is the man who challenged the Pharisees because they, wanted, they, they spent a lot of time making sure the outside of the cup was clean so that everybody saw the clean cup, but inwardly was filthy and dirty. The thing that should be the most important was filthy and dirty. And an internal change, an internal change in me, an internal change in you is what is needed. And we can't get much more internal than the heart. Imagine you're out for a hike on a beautiful spring day and you come upon a creek. But there's something wrong with this picture. You notice that someone has dumped trash all over the stream. It's an ugly sight. Judging by some of the empty soda, soda cans, the trash has probably been there for a while. There's an ugly film on top of the water, and you can't just leave the scene as you found it because it would bother your conscience. So you take a bag, you stoop down, and you begin just picking up trash. It actually takes several hours before you can begin to see the difference. It's amazing how much junk is there in that water. You sit back and you, you rest for a moment, but you realize you're probably going to have to come back for several days to really get this thing cleaned up because you're not going to get it done in one day. But when you come back the next day, it's as if the work had all been undone. In fact, there's more trash there 
than before. And somehow that garbage multiplied overnight. It expanded. And you think about the likelihood that someone would just come and dump all this because there's a clean spot in that few hours that you were away overnight. So you begin to follow that creek upstream. You begin to walk up and sure enough you come upon a garbage dump that's been there for years. And pieces are emptied into that creek. Your cleaning job only opened up a gap so that more trash can fall in and sit there. So you can go and clean that same spot every day. But if you want the creek to be clean, that means going directly to the source and dealing with whatever's there. According to the scripture, your heart is the source of which your life flows. Unfortunately, we spend great amounts of time, money, and energy, even in the church, doing trash removal downstream. But real transformation begins when we travel upstream to the source of our heart. And this is the source of much of our courage. And God wants to take that out and replace it with a new heart. Of your spirit. Ezekiel 36, 27. And I will put my spirit in you, so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. We're talking about a heart replacement here. We're talking about the heart surgeon, the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit accomplishes these divine miracles in us as we trust God for salvation. God makes all things new. He gives us a new heart. He gives us a new spirit. He gives us new desires. He gives us a fire and a new passion to help us obey his word. The Holy Spirit is like fresh water on a dry and parched ground in the desert. And when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the results will show in your life, in the way that you live. And what is the sign that someone has been given a new heart empowered by, empowered by the Holy Spirit? The sign is that he or she follows God's laws. Hmm. What laws? When Jesus wiped down the two. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourselves. That's another community for us. We go into all the world and make disciples. See, a hard heart is angry and demanding. A new heart is filled with God's compassion for every person we encounter. When your heart is filled with compassion, you will learn to love like Jesus loves. This is what it's going to take to go from COVID to revival. And this is what it looks like. It begins with you and me. Now, I would encourage you, make Make this a prayer list this morning. As we go through this list, things we just spoke about, repenting for mission drift. Maybe the ways that we've shifted away from the mission that God has called us to do. The mission here of this church is to give hope by loving God, loving people, and making disciples. All part of what God has called this church to do. The second thing is believing and praying for a homecoming of those who have walked away. Believing and praying for a homecoming of those who have walked away. The third thing, asking God to take out our hearts of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh, a heart that wants to be obedient to his word. Nobody's, nobody says, I want a stony heart. But what happens is over time, over situations, there are things that begin piece by piece to put that stone in place around our heart. 
There are things that happen in our lives that cause that stone to go there, to make it hard. The fourth thing is asking God to fill you with His Holy Spirit to do the work of the heart surgeon, to heal the deepest hurts of your heart. This is just the beginning of how to go from COVID to revival. And again, I want to state, it begins with you and me. Now you may be listening this morning. You've never given your life over to Jesus Christ. Or perhaps you have. But you know that it's time to renew. You need to renew that relationship with God. Maybe you've walked away from God. Maybe you were one of the ones that walked away. Maybe you're the one that has the, the hard heart that situations in life has caused piece by piece that heart to become guarded and that heart to be cemented. And you're, you've lost that sensitivity. You've lost what God is trying to do in your heart, that fleshness that was once there. It's now become hard. See, God wants to do a heart plan in you today. He wants to make you new again. To take that hard heart out and replace it with a heart of compassion, with a heart of love. Jesus Christ can redeem your past. He can forgive your sins and help you to change and give you a new start on life. All you have to do is ask Him and receive Him into your heart. And maybe this morning you found yourself with hardness that you didn't even know was there. This morning, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, or you want to renew your relationship, today is the day to do that. Today is the day to allow God to begin chipping away at the slowness of your heart. I have to say a simple prayer with me this morning. You can say it quietly, say it out loud. You can whisper it, you can say it in your mind. Lord, I believe you died for my sins, and today I'm giving my life over to you. I believe you rose again, forgiving of my sins. Make me new right now and fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, let us know in the chat if you're watching online or check the box on the connection card so I gave my heart to Jesus today. I also want to let you know that you can download a, an app called YouVersion and look for a devotional called First Steps for New Believers. And download that app and I want to encourage you to continue to grow in your faith and that's one second way, and the second step you need to take is we said that prayer, is if you're local, that you can meet us here at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings, the next Sunday's going to be at 11 We encourage you to be a part of this church. And if you're not local, find a church that's near you, where you can continue to learn the Word of God. Just pray this morning as we close. We're going to see the areas of our part of it. to see when we pray. Help us to start again in the heart. Is there are areas of our heart that we feel a wall around? Areas of our heart that have become stone? Areas of our heart that has become cemented? Holy Spirit, do your surgery today. Chip away the stone. Take out the heart of stone. Thank you.
over you once again from Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 24 to 26 but I want you to, to listen carefully and to take it personally because there's a lot of use in this passage it's speaking it can be speaking directly to you Ezekiel 34 24 to 26 for I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to, the, to your land then I will sprinkle water on you and you will be clean your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony heart, your stony, stubborn heart, and give you a tender responsibility. So go with a new heart and a fresh start. Go forgiven and cleansed. Go with a new heart and a new spirit. Go inviting people to Heritage Christian Church. Go make, give hope by loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Amen. God bless you. We'll have to see you next time. Thank you.